Tell me when it's gone. Donor credit. (laughs) It's gone. Okay, good. Um, Have you heard, uh, speaking of faith? Oh, no, there it is again. Oh, no. Programming on Minnesota Public Radio is supported by... (laughs) It's the donor credits. Hmm. I wonder what that is. I don't know. We're, We're working on it. Okay. It's gone now. Okay, good. It's a signal. Okay. Um, have you heard, speaking of faith... No, nope, here it is again. Oh, no. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> it's, it's gone, but I just heard about the Otter Tail Valley Civic Orchestra. You did. Yes. Now, is it still gone? It's Yeah, it's gone. All right. Yeah, well, I'm not trusting it. Tell me if you've heard, uh, have you heard Speaking of Faith, the program? Uh, Krista, I have not. Okay. And I'm not sure it's carried here. It's uh, uh, do, do, in do, Arizona? In, yeah, in Tucson. Do you happen to know? I don't think we're on in Tucson yet. We just launched weekly in the summer. We're on in many places. We're on in New York City and Chicago and Washington and Los Angeles and um, Philadelphia and 60 other places, but we're Wonderful. launching gradually, so. Okay. Uh, I will tell you uh, from, as I was reading your book, a, a, a shorthand way I can use to explain to you what we do is that it is essentially um, narrative theology, theology done from the inside. Mm-hmm. We take subjects, uh, sometimes themes of events in in religious life but but sometimes uh we did a program on the soul in depression um mm-hmm. we did a program on cloning uh, this program we are looking at um the spiritual aspect of addiction and recovery so taking mm-hmm. on a subject that's important to many people and then asking people to speak out of their experience about how they and you know your your book is a is a perfect example of what we're trying to get at in the radio show. Mm, good. So I'm just going to ask you to do what you normally do. <laughs> you don't have to, you don't have <laughs> to think outside your box at all for this interview. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and um, I'm not very normal. <laughs> well, I know I want to get into that. I love your ideas about strangeness. Um, Julie Zelli is a good friend. I'm actually on the United Board these days, so we have a lot. Oh, of Oh, wonderful! In common. Wonderful! Yeah. yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. So our, I guess we're ready to go. We um, we have about an hour. And I want to start in the obvious place, which is a little bit of your story of um, of becoming uh, an alcoholic, of, of, of understanding that you had an addiction and, and uh, deciding to deal with it. I, I think... Uh, what may be interesting in the context of this program is the fact that you were a powerful person and, in fact, a a religious person, a theologically influential person um, as an active alcoholic for some time. So I wonder if you just focus in a bit on what happened to you. Sure, sure. Uh, I uh, I did not grow up in an alcoholic family. My parents, in fact, were uh, teetotalers, and I didn't have my first taste of alcohol till I uh, went to college. And uh, there, then and there, I made up for lost time and uh, found, after a while, that uh, 
my college drinking uh, was causing more problems for me than I wanted. I I tended to drink more than I uh, intended to drink, and uh, and the binge stuff just uh, didn't do it. And uh, so, uh, after uh, two or three years in college, I quit. Uh, and uh, didn't uh, drink any alcohol for another 20 years. And it was no big moral issue issue for me. It, uh, it just was a, a choice of how I wanted to live. And then my family and I were uh, living in England uh, on a sabbatical leave, spent a year there, and, uh, and I just got acculturated to the lovely customs of of Oxford and the senior common room and the uh, sherry hour and the port after dinner and so forth. And it was all very nice and civilized. And and I found that uh, I not only enjoyed the ambiance, but I liked what alcohol did to me. Uh, it, It made me feel better. It made me feel more comfortable with myself, with the world, and so forth. And uh, and now, by this time, I was uh, in my 40s, early 40s, and uh, and then I began drinking moderately, and uh, it, it increased. And uh, by the time I was in the decade of my 50s, uh, I would say now, in retrospect, I was drinking alcoholically. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you were a professor at a seminary. I was a professor at a seminary. Indeed, I was. And... Uh, and uh, leaving, leading a uh, an active professional life and enjoying it, uh, but uh, feeling a lot of pressures of uh, of the work, even though I loved it. Uh, doing a lot of travel, a lot of special lectures, lectures, and so forth. So uh, I, uh, I I was in many ways uh, something of a private drinker. I drank socially, but uh, my heavy drinking I saved uh, for the the solitude of uh, uh, late evenings at home and so forth. Right. And and uh, as it progressed, I became the classic uh, uh, alcoholic experiencing uh, uh, the need for morning drinking and, and uh, some blackouts and, uh, and tremors and uh, the whole works. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but alcoholism, as most people know, is uh, is a disease marked by uh, by its capacity to convince you that you don't have it. And uh, my denial uh, <laughs> mechanisms were very very strong. And so, uh, uh, as as my dear wife knows, who uh, who had worked professionally uh, as a uh, hospital chaplain and uh, part of the time on the chemical dependency unit, uh, she knew much more about the disease than I did, uh, except that I had it and she recognized it and I denied it. Okay. And, and I'd like to, before we talk about recovery, you know, there's a line in your book, Thirst. You say, addiction no less than recovery is a spiritual matter. Talk to me about the religious, the theological position an addicted person is in. Now, what do you mean when you say addiction is a spiritual matter? Oftentimes, I think uh, addiction is looked upon nowadays as a uh, as a medical matter, as a matter of disease, and so forth. The major recovery programs uh, talk about a spiritual recovery. Um, but I I think there's there's a confusing 
uh, piece of this, uh, a spiritual recovery for a medical issue uh, may or may not be as persuasive as uh, a spiritual recovery for a problem that is essentially spiritual, though it has medical dimensions. And that's how I would look at uh, alcoholism as I have experienced it. Well, well, as, yeah, and so I see looking back, can you think about when you were in the midst of your, at the worst of your of your alcoholic uh, period, um, did you have a sense of the spiritual aspect of that? Oh, uh, yes, I, I did in, uh, I would say, in a very distorted way. Uh, in hindsight, in retrospect, Krista, I, I, I can understand it, I think, much more clearly uh, as a spiritual issue. But, um, well, for example, <clears throat> uh, a typical fa- facet of alcoholism is that alcoholics uh, drink differently than non-alcoholics do. That is to say, they not only typically drink more, but they drink for different reasons. Uh, non-alcoholics usually drink uh, to to relax and to find it a warming and social experience and so forth. Alcoholics typically drink to uh, achieve different perceptions of reality. Uh, what alcohol does for us, we who are alcoholics, is that it, that it makes us feel uh, larger, stronger, uh, more confident, uh, less burdened by guilt and shame, and the world seems a friendlier place, and so forth. I was aware of that kind of phenomenon, mm-hmm. and uh, that kind of that kind of cluster of things to me is a cluster of uh, spiritual dimensions because I think of spirituality uh, fundamentally, in a generic sense, as as our human response to our sense of incompleteness. Mm. Uh, It's not limited to those persons who are uh, religious in any formal sense of the word. It's, I think, it's a broad human phenomenon. It's our desire for wholeness. It's our our yearning uh, to connect with something larger and to feel our lives as significant. And you you do take that that term thirst both figuratively and, and literally in that context, don't you? Uh, yes, indeed. And uh, as as a uh, as a Christian and as a person uh, in indebted to the uh, Judaic heritage, uh, there is so much in the Hebrew scriptures as well as Christian scriptures which. Uh, which speak of thirst. Mm. Uh, uh, Psalm 42, as as the deer longs for the flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. It's this kind of thirst that I think is is a human, broadly human experience. And, uh, and it's this kind of thirst dynamic, this spiritual thirst that, uh, dynamic, uh, uh, as a very helpful lens, I believe, for understanding the phenomenon of alcoholism. What is this quote, I believe, John Bradshaw? I don't know who that is, but you you have this uh, very arresting quote, uh, addictions are the ruins of our search for transcendence. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah, yes. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful quote. Uh, John Bradshaw is... Uh, 
is one of uh, the leaders in uh, the recovery circles. Um, our search for transcendence, our, uh, our search for going beyond ourselves, for connecting with that which is uh, infinitely larger than ourselves. And uh, uh, that, I think, is the dynamic, uh, the spiritual dynamic behind any addiction. Mm. Uh, whether it's a, a substance addiction uh, involving chemicals like alcohol or other drugs uh, or food, or whether it's a process addiction uh, like gambling or sexual addiction, um, even though there are important differences among the different addictions, uh, I think there is this core uh, common dynamic of, uh, of spiritual thirst. I suppose looking at that in the largest possible sense, I mean, whether that manifests itself in addiction or not, you see that human beings, you, know, you, see, you see that manifested in many ways, whether it's in a bigger house or belonging to a group, right, or wealth. Mm. Oh, uh, indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Okay, so that core, um, that core spiritual longing you, yes, and it's yeah. a craving, a yearning, a strong desire. Uh, uh, interestingly enough, uh, if you look up the word thirst in a, a standard dictionary, uh, my Webster uh, uh, says, as well as the uh, discomfort experienced when, when the body needs water or the craving for alcohol, uh, thirst means any craving or any yearning or any strong desire. And uh, so it's the overlap of the craving for alcohol and the more fundamental craving mm. uh, for meaning and transcendence that uh, that I'm trying to connect in that book. It's also, I mean, the way you're describing it, it, it is intimately connected with with one's passion as a as a human person right mm. which yes, is not yes. necessarily a bad thing it's something that becomes distorted oh indeed indeed and uh uh one of the one of the problems of of much not all but much traditional christian religion um is that it is it has been suspicious of passion um uh the kind of the kind of mainstream denominational christianity in which i was reared and to which i owe an enormous amount and to which i am still uh, dedicated uh nevertheless has had uh, enormous problems with passion of any kind um uh, passion seems to uh to be so bodily and uh it seems to uh connect with the erotic and the sexual and uh and because Christian faith has had uh, long problems uh, with the unity of the self and has inclined itself toward a kind of Greek Hellenistic dualism, if you will, the, the classic splitting of the spirit off from the body and uh, believing that which is spiritual has to do with the spirit alone and doesn't have anything to do with the body except perhaps to control it and to su su uh, suppress its desires. That kind of fundamental uh, spirit-body dualism, uh, which I think is, uh, is the source of uh, all of our major 
problems in the area of human sexuality is also, I think, uh, the root cause of uh, uh, much of Christian religion's uh, suspicion of passion and its inability to uh, find helpful ways of nurturing and uh, expressing uh, the, uh, the good and positive passions of life. You know, and I th- I thought um, in, in your book, as you tell your story, you, you talk about April 19th, 1993, where you essentially hit bottom in a Minneapolis hotel room. But you phrased it this way, I finally had to admit that alcohol, this fine gift of God, <laughs> was now playing for the other team. N- you you all even want to acknowledge... Um, that alcohol has its goodness, that, that, that there was goodness in your original impulses that was distorted. I mean, that sort of jumped out at me. Oh, indeed, indeed. And uh, and that, it, it seems to me, is a difference uh, in some approaches to, uh, to uh, sobriety and recovery uh, from others. Um, the... Uh, some of the historic uh, movements, uh, uh, I, I think it was characteristic of the women's Christian temperance movement, uh, WCTU, uh, um, that sort of spoke of demon rum as if alcohol itself were evil. And uh, I'm sure there are experiential reasons for believing that, but uh, it seems to me a much a uh, more adequate understanding, and the major recovery movements today uh, tend to take this latter understanding that the problem is not in alcohol itself. Uh, alcohol can be a good, uh, and for most persons uh, who choose to use it, uh, it is. Uh, uh, for some of us, however, it it becomes evil. It becomes distorted goodness. And... Uh, I, I just want to, uh, in the book, I try to draw that connection as clearly as I can, that that what we experience as evil in our lives and in our world uh, is not pure evil. Uh, that, again, would be to fall into another dualism of pure goodness over against pure evil. And that kind of dualism, whether it's uh, in dealing with alcohol or whether it's dealing in foreign affairs, uh, leads to crusades and uh, more destructiveness, I fear. Um, A more adequate theological understanding, and it's got classic roots way back uh, in Christian history, and I I, uh, find it particularly in St. Augustine. talks about evil as distorted goodness. Here, here's the ancient symbol of the devil. The devil is not pure evil. The devil is a fallen angel. Mm-hmm. That which was once good has become in some way destructive. And that, it seems to me, is what, uh, is w- w- what my experience of, of uh, alcohol has been. And, and this points to something very practical very important about recovery. Uh, that is to say, the uh, the clue to recovery is not to banish alcohol. It's to uh, experience and allow changes in myself, in my response to the temptations of alcohol. 
you you mentioned that you uh, you were a Christian. You'd been steeped in Christian tradition. I wonder if you um, experienced yourself as a sinner. Did that concept of sin come back to you as you encountered your own addiction? <laughs> oh, indeed, <laughs> indeed, and uh, and this is. Uh, I'm glad you raised that point because the issue of sin is a very sticky one. Uh, when it comes to uh, alcoholism and recovery. It's, it's a hard word uh, for modern people as well. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Some years ago, Carl Menninger uh, wrote a book which became popular, Whatever Became of Sin. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, uh, just, just a couple words of background uh, on this one, Krista. Um, first of all, uh, so many people who... <clears throat> come into recovery uh, in dealing with alcoholism uh, have some very bad experiences of traditional religion. Um, the uh, And this is why such a strong distinction is often made by some recovering people. Uh, uh, I'm not religious. I am spiritual. Religion is for people who are afraid of going to hell spirituality is for those of us who have been there right we don't we don't want traditional religion that's divisive it's perfectionistic it's judgmental it's moralistic i've had enough of that this is the kind of experience that that many have had and so they they don't even want to hear the word sin and i can understand that uh but i fear that what they are rejecting is bad theology about sin and um and for me as uh a, as a recovering alcoholic and as a uh as a committed christian um i find i find the whole concept of sin uh to be enormously helpful and enormously descriptive of my experience now, um is would did you feel that uh in those days when as you were first entering recovery or is that and a way of of thinking about sin that has evolved through your experiences. I would say both. Okay. I would say both. Um, so how helpful? I'm interested in that. Well, <clears throat> I think that the most helpful understandings of sin that I know of uh, in uh, in Christian faith are not those that locate sin in wrong actions or bad deeds, uh, but in some prior condition of deep estrangement or alienation, uh, disconnection. Uh, it seems to me that it's it's a relational term, and it's pointing to some very deep and significant rupture in our relationships with, with God, with our those those around us with our natural world with ourselves that's what sin is about and uh, as my drinking became more and more alcoholic drinking um uh, the words of an old uh, gospel song come to my mind i was sinking deep in sin far from the peaceful shore oh, yeah. uh very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. Uh, even though that gospel song is not part of my preferred liturgy these days, uh, it's got a real truth there for me. I, I knew uh, 
at times when truth would break through my denial that I was getting into more and more and more trouble. I was isolating myself more. I was being more secretive uh, about my drinking. I was hiding alcohol. Uh, I was planning when I could drink, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And and all of this had uh, profound implications for my marriage, for my relationship with my colleagues at work, uh, for my fundamentally for my relationship with God. Uh, I knew alienation, and uh, and that became acutely real to me. So uh, that it's that kind of understanding of sin that that I'm talking about. I uh, just to add one more word. Yeah. Uh, that we may or may not want to talk about at this point, some of the classic uh, descriptions of sin uh, became more and more real to me through this alcoholic experience. For mm-hmm. example, uh, original sin and uh, total depravity. Oh, the Calvinist <laughs> uh, view. Well, I I come off from a Calvinist okay. kind of background, but but see on this one, total depravity. Uh, as I understand it, uh, when Calvin and uh, his major followers were using this kind of term, they didn't mean that uh, we are totally evil or totally sick, uh, what have you. Uh, let me use the analogy of health and illness here. When when they spoke of total depravity, they they meant when you're sick, you feel sick all over. If you have a bad cold, uh, if you have the flu... Uh, it doesn't mean you're dead. It means that you feel the sickness in every part of your body. And uh, that's that's what I think they were trying to describe when they spoke of total depravity. It didn't mean that we were totally evil. It meant that we were sick all over. And that is that is a wonderful understanding of what alcoholism does. Uh, to a person. I was sick all over with alcoholism. It affected every part of my life. It affected my family life, my marriage, my work life, my citizenship. It affected my emotions. It affected my intellect. It affected my spiritual relationship with God, every dimension. Uh, and that is uh, that is also uh, a uh, a good description of total depravity. Uh, and Did that surprise you that you rediscovered total depravity <laughs> <laughs> late in your theological I re- life? I rediscovered it the hard way. Yeah, <laughs> and that simply means you know if you've got a bad case of the flu, you feel sick all over, totally. Doesn't mean you're dead. <laughs> it yeah. means that you feel sickness in every part of your body, and uh, and that's what alcoholism does. You know, I think. Let's say the the concept of sin and even total depravity that you've just just uh, said that you've that you've come to value, as as well as some of the language that's associated with the twelve steps, um, like powerlessness, admitting powerlessness. These terms uh, are really counterintuitive for Americans, I think, in in American culture at large, and, and it sometimes feels inexplicable to people on the outside of the recovery experience. Um, you know, how do you do? Have you ever been questioned about that? And how do you, how do you th- respond to that? Well, I, <clears throat> I think uh, a couple things might be said. Um, one is, one is first. Uh, let's speak of gender. Uh, 
um, the uh, the main recovery movements uh, in our culture were uh, inaugurated and shaped largely by men, and uh, and this has had its uh, this has had its effect on uh, on understanding of uh, of sin and uh, and the the problems of of, of alcoholism. Uh, as I read uh, feminist women who have have written about addiction and and alcoholism particularly, um, they rightly I think uh, draw back from from talking about any kind of uh, of totality of illness uh, because they find this very disempowering. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I need to respect that, and and I need to respect that uh, as it applies to people of color and to uh, to uh, gays, lesbians, bisexuals, transgendered people, and and uh, people uh, with disability. Um, I I need to keep reminding myself that the main recovery movement in our culture. Uh, uh, was born out of uh, white male experience, and uh, as such, it does not speak uh, in the same way um, to everyone. Um, and uh, as as one who is indeed a, a white male, um, I find I find a lot of uh, a lot of relevance and uh, to to the major streams of the recovery movement for me. But um, why, why don't you come back at that question? Okay, okay, yeah, we'll way. keep. Well, well, let, let's let's do this. I you you make some interesting observations about paradox. You you've organized your book around paradox. Mm-hmm. Um, and you note that the word paradox comes from the Greek, and it literal, literally means beyond opinion, and it points to a reality that goes that goes beyond sort of simple literal thought. But that it brings right. concepts together that that seem not to belong together, but in fact need each other. So we just talked about sin. I mean, I think that's a very intriguing way to think about anything in terms of paradox, and it's in religious life. Um, you put sin together with disease. Uh, I'd like for you to talk about the understanding uh, our culture is coming to have, and that's also changing about alcoholism as a disease, how you experience that. And again, what does that have to do with this spiritual dimension of addiction? Um, the, uh, there are a couple, there are a couple big issues here, I think. Yeah. Uh, one, one is, uh, one is the disease concept itself, which I think is of enormous importance, and its acceptance is very, very incomplete uh, in our society, though there, though a lot of progress has been made. Um, but the the uh, so I guess the contrast the, there is that sin, if it's, you have a complete approach of sin, it's that this is all your own fault, and if it's a total disease model. It's just in your bones, and you couldn't help it, right? Those would be the two extremes. Those would be the two extremes, mm-hmm. and uh, and both of those, in their extreme forms, are are probably misleading, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, because uh, we are responsible for some of our diseases, and uh, on the one hand, and uh, 
if uh, the classic Christian understandings of sin have anything uh, to speak to us, uh, to say to us, for example, original sin means that there is something prior to our own choosing that has somehow entered into our experience. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is true with, with alcoholism, for example. Yeah. So uh, I think on careful examination, the 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 uh, issues of disease and sin are not as oppositional or as different as they might seem. But uh, one of the, one of the one of the proofs, for example, that the disease theory, which I think is enormously important, um, is still very incompletely accepted in our society is uh, is in terms of uh, coverage of insurance for right. uh, for treatment. Um, my treatment uh, uh, at a major treatment center uh, some eleven years ago was very expensive for a month, and. Uh, uh, we had to pay that entirely out of pocket. Um, even though I think there is reason for saying uh, it's uh, alcoholism and other drug addiction is uh, or are a, uh, a major health problem. And, uh, and uh, indeed, uh, money spent in, in the treatment thereof uh, is is exceedingly well spent. And if you say, would you make the statement that that your alcoholism is a disease? Would you would you say it that way? Oh yes, and, and yes, when, and more. And what do you what do you what do you mean when you say that? Um, sort of flesh that out for me. Well, I I, I think the um, the disease concept of alcoholism. Uh, is still incomplete, even though it's been around for uh, for years and years. Um, but <clears throat> but it it is comprised of a cluster of things: uh, the compulsive use of alcohol, in spite of adverse consequences, for example, the uh, growing uh, tissue tolerance in the body. Uh, that is, more alcohol progressively is needed to produce the desired effect in the person. Um, withdrawal symptoms begin to appear. Um, uh, the ex- the phenomenon of craving, uh, the phenomenon of loss of control that that one cannot stop in spite of one's uh, noblest efforts, uh, preoccupation, self deception, denial that whole cluster of things uh, is usually part of a disease definition of 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 alcohol, and it's and it's uh, and this disease theory has been around for a long time. Um, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, ben- Benjamin Rush, uh, first Surgeon General, uh, probably is one of the main uh, one of the main architects of the disease theory. And and where does your understanding of the spiritual nature of addiction then fit into your idea of of alcoholism as a disease? Uh, because I because I believe that. That a disease understanding of alcoholism is is necessary but not uh, complete. It's, yeah. it's fundamental, but it's not adequate. Um, as a, as a religious person, as one committed to uh, a religion called Christianity and Christian faith, uh, a part of my inheritance in that faith tradition is the notion of sin. Um, 
And again, uh, I want to go back uh, to, to underscore that sin is not essentially wrongdoing. It's not essentially bad behavior, however destructive that behavior might be. The concept of sin in classic theology always goes beneath and beyond that to point to some kind of fundamental alienation uh, and uh, some kind of estrangement, uh, ultimately from God, but also involving estrangement from those around us, from our environment, and from ourselves. And I think that that uh, any any person who has experienced alcoholism or other drug addiction is a living laboratory of uh, of, a, of a description of alienation uh, in their experience. Certainly, that was true of mine. But um, I mean, um, the idea of of this as a disease, as something that's built into your genes, uh, at least in part, at least as a as a predisposition. Says something about must say something about your idea of creation, right? I mean, so I guess that leads me to a, a larger question. You know, how has your idea of the nature of God and of creation changed through your experience of this addiction? That's a wonderful question, and uh, and it may not have and, a simple answer. That's okay. Well, it's it's uh, it's not a it's not a simple answer. Let me let me. Let let me respond in several different ways um, through several streams of uh, theology uh, that are engaging many these days and which speak to me as I try to articulate uh, the alcoholic experience. Um, one is liberation theology. Uh, God speaks through the oppressed. Um, there, there is a sense in which uh, every person who is uh, who is recovering from alcoholism or other drug addiction uh, probably <laughs> looks back on his or her experience and says, uh, I, "I, I know, <laughs> I know what oppression is like. Um, I've been there. I've done that. Uh, this, uh, this addiction." Uh, is is crazy making and it is uh, it's extraordinarily oppress- oppressive not only of the individual but uh, of all persons uh, in relationship in some way or another to that person. Um, now to now to try to understand how God speaks to us through the experience of oppression uh, is a challenge of liberation theology and and I'm indebted to that. Um, I, I'm indebted to uh, to narrative theology that uh, that there is a healing in telling our stories and in trying to put our stories in in uh, some larger framework. For example, um, one of the uh, one of the commonplace assumptions, and it's true, of uh, most recovery movements is that they are based on storytelling. Yeah. Uh, we tell our stories in recovery groups, and uh, that's what m- most of the meetings consist of. Um, now, simply telling our stories I- is important. Uh, it creates bonds among people whose stories overlap and connect. Uh, 
Um, but also I think it's important that our stories be set into a context of a larger story. So so when I go to a recovery group, as I do more than once a week, uh, I hear a lot of stories and I tell pieces of mine. And uh, and those stories are put into the context of a larger recovery story that those in our group somehow share together. And then as a person of religious faith, uh, I have to take that a step farther and uh, and and try to place uh, my or our recovery story into a larger story framework, the story of... Uh, of God and God's activity uh, in this created world, uh, a story that I read through Christian lenses. And so, yeah, and so it's yeah. I mean, there's a there's a sort of it, it can look like a cliche. I mean, you you know, you've got the 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 joke that's out there, right? Hi, I'm Jim. I'm an alcoholic, and people turn that into other ideas. But but I sure. know that the experience is extremely profound for people who have been inside it. I mean, I wonder if you could give me, and I think you're getting at a, an affinity between storytelling and, and the act of theology itself, which is a different yes. perspective. I mean, I wonder if you could even remember a moment, uh, or, um, an example of, of how you personally made that kind of connection. Um. Krista, would would you help me uh, a little bit more on that question? Made that connection yeah, between. Are there are there are there any moments in your own uh, story of recovery that come to mind um, when you had that experience of of the power of storytelling and the theological power of storytelling? Oh, yeah. oh, yes, 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 indeed, and and I uh, thank you. I I have. I have that uh, I have that experience with great regularity. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I was at a recovery meeting last evening, and um, and it was it was a good meeting, uh, and uh, nothing nothing too extraordinary about it, except that uh, there were several times uh, when I felt in the course of other person's stories uh, a profound connection uh, with not only between uh, them and myself but also with a larger story um, a story of of a recovering people of a movement of recovering people and then still a larger story uh, a, uh, a story that I would frame in uh, with Christian language, uh, which is not simply uh, a story of uh, recovery from chemical dependency, but it is—it's a story of liberation. It's a story of healing. It's a story. It's a story of uh, love conquering uh, uh, disease and alienation. Um, so it's uh, mm. uh, the the. Uh, <laughs> the passion that this elicits in me uh is is very very strong about the power of storytelling it truly is we we spoke about sin i wonder how your understanding of other theological concepts has 
changed. Uh, the one that comes to mind is grace. Uh, do you have a different definition of grace because you're a recovering person? Or, or is there another theological word that's important to you in a, you know, in a different way now after in your recovery? Um, I, I remember a, a story that Annie Dillard uh, tells in one of her books about the uh, Inuit uh, hunter in Alaska who who um, who uh, said to the missionary, uh, uh, "If I if I didn't know uh, anything about God and sin, would I go to hell?" And uh, and the missionary said, in effect, no, no, you wouldn't. And uh, the Inuit said, well, then don't tell me. Um, I don't want to know anything about these things. Mm. Um, my my experience is that the, the phenomenon uh, of our human experience always goes beyond the words that we use for them. And uh, whether or not... Uh, whether or not a person chooses uh, to use the word sin uh, or alienation or disconnection, uh, uh, it's a universal human experience and certainly the experience of, uh, of persons in, uh, in uh, addictive disease like alcoholism. And <clears throat> grace uh, is the powerful experience uh, that I think is central to uh, recovery. It certainly is uh, central to my continuing recovery. And, and, and I just need to underscore uh, what may be common knowledge, but I need to say it, uh, that uh, in my understanding, people with chemical dependency are never recovered in the past tense. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always an ongoing process. But uh, what does grace mean? Um, as a uh, person who uh, worked professionally in theology for many, many years, uh, I had read and talked and lectured a fair amount about grace. And uh, I would say that my experience as an alcoholic in midlife uh, did not fundamentally change my perspective on grace, but it deepened it incredibly and uh, made me uh, extraordinarily convinced of the relevance of the classic Christian outlines of grace as justification and as sanctification. Justification being a, a traditional word that expresses God's unmerited, gracious acceptance of us, quite apart from any merit or anything that we do on our part. And sanctification, uh, expressing uh, the power of the experience of that divine love within us to enable us to uh, to recover, to grow, to... Uh, to uh, become more fully what we are meant to be. So um, I, I, I think the issue of grace is absolutely fundamental to recovery as, as, uh, as I experience it and as I hear others talk about it. I want to um, ask my producers to talk to me from behind the glass, so I think you won't be able to hear anything for a minute. Kate, did okay. you? Okay. 
Can can you hear her? I can't. I can hear you. No. Yeah, you can't hear. Okay, I can hear you. Yeah. That's good. Okay. Um, well, I'll bring up the question of willingness again. We have it, and I think it's very connected to grace. Um, the you know the, the facts on the face of it are from being a person in the grip of an obsession that they cannot shake. Mm-hmm. Somehow, they become a person who is free not only of the behavior but the obsession. I mean, that is what recovery constitutes, and. Um, in that, as he's describing, is a, a process of grace, and I want to just ask him what what the arrival of grace has to do with willingness. And then I, I feel him being reluctant to uh, talk too much about the suffering involved in the experience. Okay. But I think uh, you know, for example, in the big book, they say this program is for the hopeless alcoholic. Huh. It is not for for the alcoholic who still has hope that everything's going to turn out okay. Uh-huh. I'd like to hear him talk about the connection between that hopelessness, that bottom, and the arrival of grace, and yep. what willingness has to do with it. Okay. Um, there's language in the in the 12 steps. I've, I've got my the 12 steps in front of me, um, especially about... I mean, there's there's obviously something that happens. There's a uh, a movement of some kind of being willing or ready for for one's for yourself for uh, to be out of the grip of this obsession of alcohol that, that you yes. I think talk about in that night in a Minneapolis hotel is is there some connection in your experience between that willingness? And grace being able to happen. And what, how, how do you become willing <laughs> and ready to make that step? How did you? Um, <clears throat> there, is, um, there is a classic prayer in the Christian tradition called the uh, General Confession of Sin. Uh <clears throat> And uh, the latter words in that prayer say, and there is no health in us. Uh, And then comes the expression of God's grace. Now, I think it's a wonderful prayer, but I think those words, and there is no health in us, are extraordinarily misleading and untrue to uh, Christian faith as I understand it. Um, uh, and uh, the, the the question is, uh, a theological question, is, is the image of God in us ever totally destroyed or totally defaced? And here's the old Calvinist question about total depravity. Mm-hmm. Now, this is, these may be uh, abstract theological questions to some, but for anybody who's experienced uh, the depths of alcoholism, as every alcoholic has, uh, they can be translated into very, very experiential and real questions. Um, the, the question is, um, does in the depths of alcoholism... Does the person ever uh, th- does the person retain the capacity uh, for some kind of response to help? Uh, 
to, to reaching out and saying, all right, I'm ready, help me. Um, I think that's, that's a, a terribly uh, important question, and I have no definitive answer. Uh, but it seems to me that for most of the alcoholics that I hear talking and know anything about, the answer is uh, yes. That point of contact is never totally lost. And was that your experience? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Indeed, that was my experience. And were you able to really sense and articulate that, or is it something you see looking back? Uh, In the the book uh, that I've written uh, on this subject, I recount my experience, and you alluded uh, to it, Krista, five, five and a half days uh, locked in a hotel room. Um, and uh, and it was, it was a classic uh, experience of binge drinking, and uh, it, was, it was insane by any uh, standards of uh, rationality or sanity. And uh, yet, toward the end of that, um, for some reason or another, even though my body was filled with alcohol... Um, I knew uh, there was an awareness that came uh, that simply said, this is it. I've had it. Uh, I've got to have help. And uh, it can't be anything halfway. Uh, I, I've, I've got to go for it. <laughs> and that, that was my decision that, uh, that meant I needed, I needed treatment and I needed it as soon as I could get it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, are there alcoholics who are beyond the point of no return, who, who, whose uh, condition of uh, the disease of alcoholism is so severe that they've lost any capacity to ask for or respond to help? There may be. And, um, and uh, that, uh, if, if that is the case, it's utterly tragic. And uh, but there are there are some indications that that may be the case for some people. Um, but for most alcoholics, uh, certainly all those who are in recovery, um, there is there has been some point of contact that was not destroyed. And um, and that that notion, the point of contact, is an interesting one. Theologically, it's there in the history of theology that our created goodness is never totally destroyed. Total, uh, interestingly enough, the term total depravity, uh, which is used in some traditions, certainly in the Calvinist tradition and often in the Lutheran tradition, uh, doesn't mean that we are totally lost or totally evil. It means that uh, everything about us is affected. Right. When I'm sick, I feel sick all over, not just in my hands or in my head or in my feet. I feel sick all over. And that's, that's the image of total depravity. When I, am an, when I am an active alcoholic, I am sick all over. It doesn't mean that I'm totally, totally lost or totally out of contact with God. You know, in the book you um, mention in many places biblical stories and biblical characters who are important to you in your recovery. I wonder if you'd just, as we close, talk about some of those. 
<laughs> Thank you. Um, oh, I think, uh, for example, of uh, the character of Jacob in the uh, Hebrew Scriptures, um, wrestling with the mysterious figure at the river Jabbok, and uh, and Jacob is such a such a fascinating character in him, in himself because he's a he's really a, a mixed uh, guy. He, he's he's full of abilities, full of uh, full of virtues, and uh, and his faults are many and deep. And uh, and he comes uh, to this to this river uh, setting and and meets a dark stranger and there wrestles with him through the night and says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And uh, then the daybreak uh, comes and uh, somehow Jacob is, is given a blessing. Uh, and uh, he limps away, wounded, and yet uh, he is limping uh, into the sunrise, as it were. It's a it's a fascinating story, and it's uh, it it's really quite descriptive. I think of uh, of many of us in our alcoholic and recovery journeys. Um, uh, we're limping uh, in recovery. I mean, uh, we have uh, our our disease uh, has has damaged us uh, physically mentally, morally, uh, and yet the promise of the Christian faith is healing, and, uh, and we still limp from, uh, from some of the damage uh, that, uh, that was done, uh, as I do, and yet uh, we're limping into the sunrise with great promise. And Jacob and, gets uh, his blessing. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you, you also so, you use the, the image of, of journey uh, even of Exodus, um, oh yes, as a good as a good analogy for the the experience of addiction and recovery. Uh, it's an important image. It's an important image for me, Krista. It's uh, because uh, in the recovery movement of which I am part, um, uh, recovery is viewed, and I believe rightly so as an ongoing never ending process not not something that is completed and uh the uh the there's a there's a, a contemporary hymn uh lead on o cloud of yahweh ruth duck is the author in a line the journey is my home uh comes through that hymn more than once the journey is my home uh it's, that's an important image an important metaphor i think for the recovering alcoholic it is for me um uh, journeying uh into into truth um you shall know the truth the truth shall make you free well what is the truth about myself uh what is the truth about the world as i perceive it that that uh, the the recovery journey has been uh, very significant in terms of that kind of uh, insight. Uh, the journey into uh, community and the depth of community. Uh, I think that I in in the uh, eleven years almost of of my recovery uh, process, I have come to appreciate in a more profound way than ever before the power of community mm-hmm. and the power of shared vulnerability. Um, 
the journey into uh, into time. Um, you know, the the Christian faith is replete with uh, images of time, uh, uh, quality time, kairos, uh, resurrection, uh, how to live as Easter people, all of this, living in the now. Um, those kinds of concepts about time uh, have become extraordinarily important to me in recovery. Say, say uh, some more it, about that, about what in particular is meaningful for you, for you in that that you are able to use. Um, as a uh, as a as a practicing alcoholic uh, before my journey into recovery, um, time time was an enemy to me, increasingly so, and I, I was quite conscious of this. Uh, I felt remorseful about uh, much in the past that alcohol had damaged. Uh, I felt fearful about the future. Um, I felt escapist about the present. Um, that's a good recipe for for time as not being a very friendly phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And uh, and now uh, in recovery, the enormous gratitude that I have for the present moment. And that gets you into that notion of kairos time. Oh, indeed, mm-hmm. indeed. And how did you um, define kairos time? Uh, Living, living in the immediacy of the now, mm-hmm. uh, the 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 present moment as pregnant with meaning. Uh, not that one is oblivious to the past, but that the past and the future do not have a determinative uh, kind of uh, effect on one. But the, but it is the power of the present, uh, the quality of the present. Uh, it seems to me that in the Hebraic and the Christian traditions is a, is a very powerful image of time. You know, you, uh, the Hebrews uh, on their Exodus journey learned that they couldn't store up manna in the desert. Uh, it would rot. Uh, they had to depend upon that gift regularly and every day. And uh, so and, it's uh, that kind of thing. We We have to finish, but I would say one other thing that was very striking to me in your Christian theology is you talk, you know, people speak of in our culture about crucifixion, resurrection. You, Jesus' life, you talk about how you are inspired as a recovering alcoholic by the post-resurrection stories. And I understood that as I read it. Could you say a little bit, a little bit about that? Um... Uh, help me say say a, say a little bit more. Well, what is that phrase post resurrection? I don't think that's a phrase most lay people use ever. Uh... Well, <clears throat> um, post post resurrection uh, in in New Testament terms usually refers to uh, to a couple of things. One, uh, the appearances of Jesus as experienced by his followers and uh, and secondly uh, simply the experience of the followers uh, who believed in the resurrection of the Christ and who believed that that, uh, that the Christ was not uh, defeated but was very much alive and, and did you come to to read those stories differently or to identify with them differently through your addiction Oh yes, yes, indeed. The uh, 
Uh, well, let me say that that recovery, uh, not simply for one who is uh, committed to uh, some version of Christian faith, as I am, but uh, virtually every uh, recovering person of whom I know uh, is a resurrection experience. Um, it, 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 is, it is an experience of, uh, of coming alive in some very significant ways uh, from the dead, quite literally. Uh, um, not total bodily death, albeit uh, certainly bodily damage in alcoholic addiction. And, uh, and uh, so resurrection uh, in that sense means a great deal. The, the whole concept of eternal life, um, as I understand it in, the, in, the, uh, in a biblical perspective, does not mean fundamentally an ongoing uh, life that uh, has no end. It means fundamentally a new quality of life, a, a life that is lived in the presence and with the reality of God. Uh, so, so those kinds of things are uh, are very, very meaningful to me. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Um, I think I think we've we need to finish. But uh, Kate Moose, who you've uh, communicated with, will let you know what what's happening with this program. And I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Sure. Thank I'm, you. I'm and I'm it's delighted. A, it's and a tremendous book. Yeah. I've appreciated the conversation very, very much. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thank you.